Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I trust you're having a wonderful Christmas season as we head into Christmas itself. A lot of activities going on. You know, some people are just kind of backing down and slowing down, and that's okay, too. But I always see this time of year as a time to surge forward, knowing everybody else is kind of taking a break. I figure it's a good time to jump ahead of the pack a little bit. I don't mean that to sound as a very competitive, take advantage of other people at all, but I just am eager to hit the new year running, and I know that you are, too. I want to talk a little bit about setting goals, why I talk about setting goals so much. And I'll tell you why I think that is critically important. Without that, we're going to drift and you can jump ahead of the pack no matter where you are in the course of a year if you have a clear sense of what it is you want to accomplish. Well, this is the time each week where we take some time to review questions submitted by you, the listeners, to 48 Days Online Radio. And we're going to sort through those, choose some that I think have application for all of us, no matter what you're doing in work. If you want to increase the sense of satisfaction, the sense of doing something that you love, stay tuned. We're going to be covering questions that you can use as well. Well, here are some of the ones we'll be unpacking today. Dan, how do I make the transition from the discovery stage to the action stage? Great question. A lot of people get like Zig Ziglar talks about, get cooked in the squat. They get, they, they, all they do is get ready to do something and never actually act. Well, another question, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but no idea what to do with it. Where do I start? Dan, what's your take on being a car salesman? Talk about that. I love car sales, incidentally. Uh, Dan, I'm not doing the work I love. I like about 5% of my work. The rest I dislike and dislike a lot. Someone says I'm already underpaid. And now the company has announced a 5% pay cut for everyone. Someone else, I really want to be great at something, but I have too many interests. You know, it's a, there's a common theme in the questions today where a lot of people have a lot of ideas and have a lot of ability. You may be exactly like that, where you know you have the ability to do a lot of things, so it seems somehow stifling or artificial to not do something you know you could do well. Well, the problem with that is you can't do everything well. If you try to do everything, you'll end up mediocre without having excellence anywhere, So even if it seems like it's a forced choice, at some point you got to narrow down, figure out what it is that you're going to do well, where you become known as the expert, the go-to guy in that particular area. Well, again, this is Dan Meller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you've got a question you'd like to submit that we can include in an upcoming show, just go to the podcast link on 48days.com. Leave your question there, or you can just shoot a question in directly to askdan at 48days.com. Our quotation for today flows out of what I'm already talking about. comes from Brian Tracy, who said, If you don't set goals for yourself, you are doomed to work to achieve the goals of someone else. Just be very clear on that. If you don't have goals, trust me, you're working towards somebody else's goals. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit. I've got a whole lot of questions I want to get to, but I really want to include some things that just seem to be such common themes, especially this time of year. Why do I talk so much about setting goals this time of year? Well, 
when questioned about any regrets that they have or anything they would do differently, people who are approaching death always have one common theme. This is the most common regret people who are close to death say that they have. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life expected others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. You know, looking back, it's easy to see talents unused, dreams left unfulfilled. This is the most common regret of everybody. When people realize that their life is almost over, look back clearly on it. Golly, it's tough to see those dreams unfulfilled. Now, I've had significant amount of experience with parents myself being in retirement centers, seeing people there who are full of regrets, frustrations, resentment, anger, when they're looking back and realizing all the things they had not done. I mean, most people don't honor half the dreams that they have, and they die knowing that it was due to choices they made. That's what leaves dreams unfulfilled. That's why setting goals is so important. Setting goals puts you on a course to not end your life with those regrets where you would have fulfilled your dreams and lived a life true to yourself. You know, there's so many examples in nature. I'm always drawn to the things we see in nature. What does a goose do this time of year? It heads south because it's a goose. I mean, there's just nothing else it's going to do. It's going to head south. That's an internal instinct. It's wired in to its DNA. Now humans on the other hand can change direction at will at any time. But this is where we have to be very careful and very honest because even as humans, about 95% of our behavior comes from habits out of unconscious patterns that we've created or allowed. Jim Rohn, great philosopher speaker said, you're only one or two key behaviors away from being able to transform your life. Now think about that. So you're sitting here, we're getting ready to start a brand new year. You are only one or two key behaviors away from being able to dramatically transform your life. Would you like to do that? Do you recognize you can choose? You're not a goose. You aren't forced from habits to continue doing what you've always done whatever other person around you is doing, you can choose identifying goals. Another way that I like to look at this allows you to set your sails. See, rather than just being pushed along by the winds of life, you can set your sails. I mean, remember even a dead fish can move as long as it's going downstream. I mean, there's very little turbulence. It's still moving. I mean, the, the dead fish may think it's still alive because it's moving. No, it's just going along with the flow. There's no struggle, no opportunity for change. And ultimately the fish has to realize it's dead, dude. Well, with, with goals, you set the sails on your little boat. I mean, Joanna and I recently went sailing with uh, Connie and Sheila, a couple of hotshot real estate experts here in Nashville who are great friends of ours. I just did an interview with Connie and Sheila. You can find that on their side. And we, we did it about setting goals. But we went sailing. They took us sailing. I'd never been sailing before. And I always assumed that the wind determined what direction you went. But you know, that's totally not true. It was a great lesson for me because if you understand the wind, it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing, you can set your sails so that the wind actually helps you go in the direction you want. 
So what's some of the wind that we're experiencing right now? I mean, just think about it in these terms. What's some of the wind that we're experiencing right now? Gee, it's the government, it's the taxes, the economy, it's the company, it's other family members, it's my neighbors. Those are all things we hear about the winds that are blowing out there. But if you have your sails set properly, those things only help you move in a positive direction. The setting your sails is from having goals without goals, goals, those winds will take you into discouragement, despair, frustration, resentment, anger, the things I mentioned that a lot of people who realize that they're at the end of their life are experiencing without goals. You move into the non-accomplishment of the things that you think are really important. The non-accomplishment of your goals, set your sails. Now, as you often hear me say, indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. But now here's what can happen. Even when you have good options, you have great choices in front of you. Let's just assume you have nothing but good choices, but without clear goals, then anything becomes a possibility. So if I'm presented with, uh, let's say I'm presented with three great ideas today and I don't have my goals clearly laid out. I'll end up debating the merits of all three of those. And all of a sudden a week goes by a month has passed. I'm still trying to make a decision with clear goals. I should be able to make 80% of all decisions instantly. My goals have already defined and created a filter for what doesn't fit. I mean, here's an example. About a year ago, I was presented with an opportunity that would have dramatically expanded my exposure to major, major crowds. The financial projections were just astronomical, but to make it work, I would have had to be on the road about half the time. Hey, guess what? That conflicts with my personal and family goals. That decision wasn't difficult to make at all. doesn't matter how good it looked on paper in terms of a business decision or how much it would have increased financial revenue. It conflicted with goals I had already set. Boom. End of story. Not going to happen. Now, I'm very intentional with the use of my time. Time is the one resource we can never recapture once it's gone. With clear goals, I can invest time in what's important, not just what seems urgent. Now, keep in mind, again, the quotation that I started with from Brian Tracy. If you don't set goals for yourself, you are doomed to work to achieve the goals of someone else. Now, if you need, if you need some help on this, if you need a worksheet, just go to the 48days.com site, click on useful resources. There's a drop down for worksheets In that worksheets. I've got a template there that you can use to set your goals. It's free. Just open it up, take a couple hours, work through that. You'll be amazed at what will unleash for you as we head into a new year. I'm also big on taking action. As you know, a couple of the blogs I wrote just recently had to do with taking action. Just cute examples. There's one about the guys who started a site on the internet dealing with ugly Christmas sweaters. Now these are both just holiday ideas and you think, well, how can something be that radically successful when it really only has a focus one month out of the year? Well, if the idea is big enough, it'll carry you the rest of the year. A couple of guys got together and they, they had a, they started blogging about ugly, ugly Christmas sweater parties, which have gotten pretty popular. And then they had readers 
This is a great example of how you pay attention to things and simply respond to what people are already asking for to unleash some of your best business and income ideas. So these guys blogging about ugly Christmas sweater parties started having people saying, and I've got one to go to, but I can't find an ugly Christmas sweater. Ding, 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 ding. Guess what? Those guys went out the next day, went to a Goodwill store, bought 60 ugly sweaters, 60 out of one Goodwill store. They took photos of them, put them up on the internet. They sold out totally in one day. You think they're onto a hot idea? Yeah. They have people all over the country that scour Goodwill and Salvation Army consignment stores and pick up ugly sweaters because they sell everything they can get their hands on. You can go to their site, uglychristmassweaterparties.com, I think is what it is. But anyway, you can find it. But they took action. The, the key here, the thing I want to point out is ugly Christmas sweaters did not give them a great business. It did not create revenue. No, but the fact that they recognized the desire, created a plan of action and acted on that plan, boom, that did it. Thomas Edison said, I have far more respect for the person with a single idea who gets there than for the person with a thousand ideas who does nothing. I mean, sometimes people brag to me about all the ideas they have and I think, okay, there's a lot of sand on the beach. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Ideas are a dime a dozen. Ideas don't put any money in your pocket. Be careful about being too proud of your ideas because, and also that's why I tell people share your ideas. Don't worry about it. Ideas don't make anybody any money. It's only the person who creates a plan of action. And most people stumble at that. They never create a plan of action and do it. Now here's another example. I think this is pretty cool. You know, the little book that goes around elf on a shelf. I mean, my own granddaughters are the recipients of this where every morning, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they get up and start looking through the house for where the elf is hidden. And wherever the elf is hidden, there are goodies there as well. So it's this incredible challenge and excitement, anticipation between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Get up and find the elf. Yesterday morning, my little granddaughter called and wanted to share with us that the elf left her cotton candy. But hey, how cool is that? Now, Elf in a Shelf, here's the story behind that phenomenon. Twin sisters grew up in a household where their mom did exactly what I just described. In between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they would get up and they would look for the elf. Well, they grew up, went off to college, got married. Mom was an empty nester, kind of bored. And the sisters said, why don't we write a book about the Elf in a Shelf? Well, they did. Every publisher turned them down. Because they wanted to write not only a book, but also have an elf that you would purchase as part of the package. And publishers said, nah, you know, we can't do that. I mean, it's not packaged to go into bookstores like that. Uh, That's not what bookstores are looking for. Having an actual elf with the book makes it too expensive. We're now at, you know, 25 bucks. People don't want to pay that. It's just not a good idea. So the sisters hung their heads in shame, recognized their ideas stunk, and you've never heard of Elf on a Shelf. Well, that's not true. We all know about Elf on a Shelf because they ignored that advice from all the experts in the publishing world. They went ahead and printed their little book. 
They printed 5,000 copies and had the little elves ready to go. They sent letters to everybody they knew and people bought them and bought multiples for other people. That little elf in the shelf deal book and elf is now in 10,000 outlets. And that includes books a million and Barnes and Noble and Hallmark and Walgreens and lots of places. However, those are not bookstores. Those are elf adoption centers. Last year, those two gals and their mama did over $10 million in business. I'll give you an update when 2011 is over because I suspect it's going to be more than that with all the publicity that they've gotten. But over $10 million from an idea that should only be good one month out of the year and an idea that all the experts said, no, it can't be done. What happened? They took action. They created a plan and took action. Well, Hey, just a reminder, you're listening to Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. If you got a question you'd like for me to address, just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You'll see a little box there that allows you to shoot your question in. Let's go to some of those now. Tim from Murfreesboro, Tennessee says, over the last 15 years, I've learned to recognize and set my objectives on natural talents, interests, values, and personality traits, and finally, a clear vision is coming into focus. How do I make the transition from the discovery stage to the planning stage so I can get on with the action stage? Now, here's another question from JP that is very similar. Hi, Dan. I have a long history of being excited when I start a new job, only to be miserable within six to eight months and ready to quit. I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but no idea what to do with it. Where do I start? All right, let's group these together. Let's go back to Tim's question. He said he's recognized his, his objectives. Uh, he knows what his natural talents are, interest, values, personality traits, and he has a clear vision of what that would all mean. All right. Now, Tim, you've done the hard work. You've done the part that a lot of people don't do. Looking inward, you've identified what your strongest talents are, what your personality skills are. Uh, you've done the part that a lot of people sidestep. They just look at who's hiring where there's a hot opportunity and they go right to that. No, draw that line in the sand. Look at yourself, identify what's unique about me. So you've done that. Having done that, you should be able to easily identify work and business environments that blend what you know about yourself. Now I just reread Seth Godin's little book, poke the box, which I highly recommend Uh, just this week. They had a, a special on that or you could get it for five bucks. I jumped in, got another 20 copies to give out to people, poke the box. But in, in that little book, Seth says, it's easy to fall so in love with the idea of starting that we never start. Now that's what happens to a lot of people. And Tim, be aware of that. You know, you can get to the point where you've gone through identifying a, this is what would actually work. And then it's, another big step of action to actually do something. Seth says some of us hesitate when we should be starting. Instead, we hold back. We promise to do more research, wait for a better moment, seek out a kinder audience. This habit is incredibly common. It eats up our genius and destroys our ability to make the contribution we're quite capable of making. He says he calls it hypo go trapped into not starting enough. Don't get trapped in not starting. 
Take what you know about yourself and start. Now with that, there may be four or five things that you know you could do, that you know you could do well, that you're passionate about, and you know that you have the ability to carry off well. That's okay. Just do a little bit more research, then choose the one that you're going to do. Choose one, don't look back, commit yourself to a year of doing just that. That's the way that you launch something and attain excellence in doing so. Well, Holly from uh, Jackson, Mississippi says, crazy or not, here I go. I recently quit my good job in an architectural firm to pursue my dream designing and building children's outdoor playhouses. My old job wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't right. I'm working harder now than ever before, but also I'm happier than I've ever been. Every day is a challenge and every day is exciting. I'd like to write a book about playhouse design and feature some of the playhouses that others have built themselves as well as some of my own designs. How do I go about getting their permission to use photos and information? Is there a standard for doing so? Much of the information I'd like to include is already on my blog. Thanks for your encouraging words of wisdom. Your podcast got me through many tough days at work. Well, Holly, I love your website. I went to your website, A Place Imagined. That's pretty cool. I really love your website. I love the fact that you're selling both completed houses, but also drawings and plans. I mean, that's a way to leverage and that's a way to immediately move into residual income. If you are just building the playhouses, as I see you have done, it's a cute, whimsical playhouse that you have ready for sale right now. That, that's awesome. But that's going to give you linear income. You build it, you get paid, end of story. Whereas if you turn that into plans, I mean, you can have 10,000 people buy the plans and they can buy those plans at two o'clock AM when you're sleeping. So I, I love the fact that you are already broadening out and doing both. Now as to using the photos and plans and so on, if you take photos yourself, there's really no problem. You can take those photos anywhere and you use those. They're your photos because really the proprietary information or product is not the design, not what you see visually, but it's the photo itself. And photographers can get pretty, pretty anal about, you know, protecting their photographs. So use a little caution there. You can use sites like iStock photos and there are others. There are royalty free sites out there where you can get a lot of photos uh, if you do a Google search for children's playhouses and then just go to images, you're going to see hundreds of photos. Those usually are okay, but you can also get photos that are trying to be protected by photographers that are on there. And if you're going to put this in something that you are going to use as a permanent display, like a book, that can be a little tricky. I don't use photos from Google searches in books. I make sure that I purchase those photos or have the permission of the photographer. I uh, just this morning had a photographer who does a lot of work for us sign off on some forms that I needed for uh, the next book that I'm working on. The publisher wanted to make sure that I had an author re or, or a photographer release on file for anybody that did photography that we're going to use for my photos. You can license other people's plans. You can have affiliate links to plans or real playhouses where you get affiliate commission from those. 
mean, that's a great way to do that. We recently purchased a, I wanted a well house. We, we are in the country, so we have a well and I wanted a well house to have our water softener, water filtering system in outside the house right above our well. And we decided that while we were going to do that, we might as well have a real cute little house rather than just some little utilitarian outhouse looking thing. So we, we found the designs on when we found the plans for a little house and it's a greenhouse on one side. So it's a real cute little house. So we found a company that actually sold these. We purchased it, but the guy came out with all the materials on a little trailer and the plans for that house and built it on site. I was not even aware that's the way it was going to be done. I thought that they would build it somewhere and he'd just haul it here and unload it, but that's not the way it was done. So it was a great example of what you're talking about and the very thing that you could do. Now, while I collect my thoughts here, clear my throat a little bit and go on. I'm going to play a song here that'll remind us of what you said people are saying about you. Isn't that true? Surely you're not happy now. You're no longer playing the game. You left a corporate job and you're doing this rinky dink thing on the internet. Oh yeah. Yep. You hear that a lot from people. I'm sure the people, the guys who are doing the ugly Christmas sweaters. Yeah. It's not like people are saying, Oh, that's a stellar idea. Yeah. You ought to do that. And obviously the gals who did elf on a shelf were told by a whole lot of experts. You're nuts. That's never going to work. And they did $10 million in revenue last year. Well, this question comes, oh, oh, this, this is, please don't use my name. All right. Hey, Dan, what's your take on being a car salesman? It seems the best way to go is to definitely build a clientele instead of standing around waiting for new customers to stroll on the lot. I'm pursuing this because I was intrigued by the kind of money that could be made having some control on my income based on my efforts. I'm wondering if this is a correct fit for me, but perhaps I'm not giving myself a chance. Standing around waiting gives me a chance to reflect and think. And the more I think about things, the more frustrated I get when an hour or two go by, no one new strolls into the lot. Plus I have to wait my turn with other sales people. I've been at this new career for four days. Am I not giving myself a chance? Yes. I would say that you're not giving yourself a chance. If you've been doing it for four days, you cannot do that. Four days is not enough time by any means. Now, I already indicated in the opening of the show that I love selling cars. I love the opportunity that can be had there. It is open-ended. And yes, you can go after clientele. You don't have to just stand around and wait on the lot. You can take two days of the week where you say, hey, I'm going to give up my my up. It's called, you know, when you're up on the lot. I'm going to give up that. I, you guys can have it. I'm going to go find customers. You can go work office complexes 
and figure out, you know, who's going to drive Lexus or Mercedes or Chevys or Fords, whatever it is you're happening to be selling. Go find those people. If you're selling Ford trucks, go out in the country, talk to 30 farmers. You're going to find 15 hot prospects for what you got. And that most salesmen don't do that. They stand there and twiddle their thumbs, you know, and tell stories or watch, you know, TV in between those long gaps when somebody doesn't come and walk in the door. You don't have to be like that. Now, when I started selling cars and I sold cars years ago, you know, it was kind of funny because I had just graduated with a master's degree in clinical psychology. Um, My wife thought she had married and supported the education of some uh, fancy psychologist. And I got out of school, uh, counseled in a traditional counseling facility for three months and thought I was going to go nuts if I stayed there anymore, having to just sit there and, uh, nod my head gently, listening to people whine and complain about the way their lives were. Now, obviously we need good counselors. I just figured out real quickly. I was not one. I'm way too impatient to do that. Thus I moved over years into being a coach where I can take much more initiative than what is expected of a counselor. But that was my background. I moved out of uh, counseling and went right into selling cars and absolutely loved it. But I was much like you. I panicked if three days went by and I didn't sell a car. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this doesn't work. Well, I had an old gentleman. His name was Cecil Barrows who worked for me there on the car lot. He was a great guy and just full of wisdom, taught me a whole lot about car business and about business in general as I look back over the years. Now, Cecil's been been gone many years, but I, I wish I could thank him for all the wisdom that he poured into me in those couple of years where I had him working on my car lot. And he would tell me this. He'd say, Dan, don't look at selling cars by the day, by the week, or even by the month. But if you keep doing things as you're doing now, you're going to have the best year you ever had. And that's exactly what happened. Now, there were periods of time where I would go a week and not sell a car. You know, but then I'd sell a motorhome. I remember I, in, way back then and as early as I sold a motorhome and made $4,000 on it. I thought, oh, my gosh. This is amazing. So at the end of the year, I had literally made over three times more money than I had ever made in a year before in my life. But it didn't come in nice, tight little increments by the day or in 52 increments where I got a nice even paycheck on Friday. As soon as you go into something where you do take the ceiling off your income, you're probably going to see income come unevenly rather than that. So hang in there, give yourself more time and learn how to do things that most car sales people never do. Get out there, find a clientele, build a loyal list. You know, you can have a lot of fun and make a lot of money selling cars. Well, you're listening to Dan Miller in the 48 days online radio show. If you got a question you'd like for me to address, you can go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Leave your question there. I'd be happy to insert it into an upcoming Show of the 48 Days Online Radio. Arlena from uh, Falls Church, Virginia says, I'm not doing work I love. There are elements of the job I like. About 5% of the work, the rest I dislike and dislike it a lot. The problem is I don't have anything that I'm passionate about. I'm reading The Joy of Not Working. Uh, that That's a cute little book. Ernie Zelinsky is the author of that, I believe. I've learned that outside of work, I don't do anything. So I don't have any positives in my life, just a job that I dislike. Do you have any suggestions for someone in search of a life? I'm going to take a few classes, cooking, pottery, swimming. I have one like Labrador Retrievers and an extensive list of dislikes. 
I tried joining 48days.net, but I closed it out the same day. Posting a photo was hard, and then almost right away, people started asking me questions. I felt overwhelmed, so I need baby steps for an introvert. Golly. Well, here's here's what you need to do. You, know, you need to break the cycle, Arlena, of, of being trapped in something you dislike so intensely. You need to give yourself a little margin in your life. And you're doing that by taking some classes, cookery, pottery, swimming. That's great. I mean, do that so that you have a chance to experiment with some things outside of work. So you have a chance to really identify what it is that you're passionate about and identify things that you care about, things that you enjoy doing. I mean, that's exactly the way to do that, to give yourself some some margin and to be able to peel back the layers that have been kind of covered over by doing work that you dislike for so long don't, don't, uh, don't just stay away from 48days.net. That's a great place. Even if you just go there and observe there, there's some areas that won't be open to you. If you're not at least registered there as a member, there's no fee for being a member there, but you have to be at least be online on board with that to get access to all of the parts of the site. But you can, you can go there and watch what other people are doing. There's a whole lot of introverts there who are asking other people, what can I do to go into a new season of success in my life. And you can do the same. Well, BJ from Hamburg, Germany says, Dan, my wife, Sylvia asked me for some advice on how to get gigs in hotels and for events here in Germany. She's a jazz singer and has a jazz pianist who plays with her. She's read the chapters in 48 days on getting a job, but the event managers and the event agencies just say, we'll contact you when she calls them. She has a demo CD, professional pictures of her and her pianist, a website, sylvialee.net, a, My, a MySpace account. Is there something different about getting gigs as opposed to getting a job in a company? How can she get the ball rolling? What approach would you recommend? Thanks so much for your books, community, and podcast, BJ. Well, I went and checked out Sylvia's website. The website is very cool and factual. It's not warm and engaging at all. I would love to see it with color. And, and much more engaging, have links there where somebody can listen to Sylvia. I mean, it, it looks, I mean, it's just very aloof and professional, but not something that would say, wow, I want to get this gal in here to play in my club or my event or, you know, come to my wedding or whatever. Uh, then I'd create a one page flyer you can hand out. Now, when you talk about, is this different than getting a job? No, it's not. But even in 48 Days to the Work You Love, where I talk about doing the job search, it's not just make phone calls or just send out letters. It's a combination of things where you present yourself at least three times. Make personal contacts, not just phone calls. Get out there so people can meet her. I mean, you're talking about having somebody perform. It's a very intimate kind of connection. So you want people to meet her so that they can see, golly, this is a great lady. She's attractive. She's fun to be around. That goes a long ways down the road, to giving her an opportunity to then come in and sing. Look for places where she can perform regularly, where it's not just one night gigs, but where she could come back every week and play. Book a few of those and all of a sudden she'll be busier than she needs to be. Ted Yoder, I talked about Ted. A couple weeks ago, we had him here recently and he did a concert on the hammered dulcimer when Ted was trying to make a long drawn out transition. And then he got fired because he lost his interest in his current job. He got fired and he decided I better just make this work. The very first day he went out 
and knocked on the doors, literally walked in two retirement centers, booked them both as paying gigs to come in and play the hammer dulcimer. That's what Sylvia needs to do. Get out there, knock on doors, walk in 40 doors, and she'll find places where she can get booked. She's taken way too professional, uh, hands-off approach to something that is very warm, intimate, and personal. Jonathan says, from New Orleans, says, I have a bachelor's degree in physics, have five years cumulative experience in my field. I've been with my current company for two and a half years now. I absolutely love what I do and the mission behind it, but I have concerns about my career track. The people I share job titles with and pay with have associate's degree or none at all and less experience than I have. A recent change in company benefit structure is resulting in a 5% pay cut. My wife and I are already struggling to make ends meet. I feel that I'm overqualified for my current position, have consistently outperformed my peers, exceeded my management's expectations, which, which they've told me, but there doesn't seem to be any opportunity for career growth. I don't know how to con- voice my concerns without coming across as entitled. You have any advice for me? Well, ultimately, you know, this is your life you're talking about here. Uh, being loyal to a company, Jonathan is great, but if you really know you're underemployed or undercompensated, then you need to take the initiative to correct that. Do some research and then talk to your boss directly about your concerns. Talk about the inequity of, you know, you have more education, more experience, more value to the company. So it shouldn't just be the same pay grade as everybody else and make a case for that. What unique value have you brought to the table? What, what specific things have you done in the last year that have helped the company create more revenue? I mean, be prepared like that. I mean, you don't get paid more just because you have another degree and because you've been there another year, but because you have added specific value. So be prepared to make a case for that. Then do a great job search to confirm that you really are underpaid. If you do a great job search, then you're going to be able to entertain new job offers and then you can make the best decision based on that. Now you don't talk about having read any of my material here. So I'm going to send you Jonathan. I'm going to send you a copy. I've got your address here. I'm going to send you a copy of the newest version of 48 days to the work you love. Go back through that. It ought to help you unlock where you are, give you some new options in 48 days. So you can really decide, do you want to stay where you are or not? Well, again, you're listening to Dan Miller and the 48 days online radio show. It's my privilege each week to unpack some of the questions that you, the listeners submit real life questions that can help all of us in our continued path toward success. If you have a question you'd like to shoot into me, just go to the podcast link at 48 days.com. You'll see a little box that will allow you to do that. David from Utah says, Dan, my daughter's 14 years old and she has the entrepreneurial spirit. She wants very much to earn money doing her own thing. As long as it does not involve face-to-face sales. What advice do you have for someone her age who is ambitious, bright, and has a real desire to succeed? I want to give her sound advice, but don't know where to start. Can you help, David? Well, David, give her a lot of freedom to experiment with entrepreneurial ideas. I mean, by the time I was 14, I had picked sweet corn out of our family garden and taken it up to the corner and sold it to people coming by. I had gone door to door selling Christmas cards. I had salvaged old toys and bicycles from the county dump, cleaned them up, resold them. 
I had cleaned tar off cars. Every once in a while, they had oil patches. We lived on a dirt road, but they would oil patches just in front of our houses to cut down some of the dust in the middle of summer. Well, then that would immediately, you know, spray oil all over cars. And so I offered my services to clean the tar. I used to do that for 25 bucks a car. I'd clean off all the tar off and wax it. But anyway, I'd done a bunch of things by the time I was 14. My own kids, uh, Kevin, my oldest, I sent him to a window tinning school in Atlanta. We lived um, just outside of Nashville. I sent him to a window tinning school when he was 14 years old to learn how to tint windows when that was becoming popular. And I had an auto accessories business at the time. So we would promote that we also did a window tint and he would do Mercedes, Jags, Volvos. I mean, Austin Martins, exotic cars like that. And as a 14 year old was making five, $600 a week doing that working evenings after he was full-time in school as a high school student as well. Jared came along my next son. We lived in a, a community that had 433 homes in it called Cottonwood, just outside Franklin, Tennessee. And he did, I helped him develop his little idea of doing bicycle repair he hung flyers on the doorknobs about half of them at a time in that community did that twice during the summer kept him absolutely booked totally just doing bicycle repair he would do free pickup and delivery that was his usp I mean, that's the unique selling proposition that's a big benefit for parents as opposed to having to put a bike in the trunk hope you don't scratch the paint haul it downtown remember when to go pick it up now yeah, he did free pickup and delivery and he, again, quickly went into making significant money. Ashley, my daughter, uh, being a girl, she worked with her mama in the kitchen a lot. And uh, she baked apple pies that were the talk of the school and the talk of the town. Uh, one time they had her apple pies. She offered, it was for a fundraiser, and she offered to bake an apple pie one a month for a year. And I remember the the family, Wes Yoder, who has Ambassador Speakers Bureau, bought that. He paid a whole lot of money for that. I mean, it was hundreds of dollars he paid for the privilege of having my daughter bring them one apple pie a month. Now, it was for a good cause, but she did that. I mean, she became very well known for that. I think she charged 25 or $30 for her pies, and she did that. So with your daughter, just give her the freedom to experiment with things that she really enjoys. You know what? I'm going to send you a brand new copy of... Uh, are 48 no or low cost business ideas. It's something I put together. It's 48 ideas that many of them don't cost any money at all. It can be done right there where you are. So I'll send you a copy of that. Maybe that'll help stimulate some ideas you and your daughter can explore, but just give her a lot of freedom. What a great thing to have a daughter doing. Damon says, Dan, have you read Jim Collins new book? Great by choice uncertainty, chaos, and luck. Why some thrive despite them all. And uh, Damon says, my goodness, this has been great in helping me plan for next year. It's an interesting question. Why is it that some companies like Southwest Airlines continue to dominate, stay profitable despite the 9-11 attacks and so on and so forth? Very well-researched book. It's the first Jim Collins book I've ever read. Good stuff. Yeah, Damon, I have read that. Absolutely. I've read all of Jim's books, Why the Mighty Fall, uh, built to last good to great and the other things that he has written as well. That the principles are really two there. There's two principles in there. Why companies like Southwest are so great. One is the tortoise wins, not the hare. Remember that a little fable. 
It's doing the right things over a long period of time that make companies winners. That's one thing. The other thing, it's the culture they create. Now, the best book right now currently out there on how to create that kind of a positive culture is my buddy Dave Ramsey's book on entree leadership. If you really want to know how to build a company where you have that kind of a positive culture, happy people doing great work and success for the company overall, get Dave's book on entree leadership. Now I just did a interview with them for their entree leadership podcast. Now they have interviewed Jim Collins and they've had Tony Dungy on there, Tim Sanders, Tony Shea, who started Zappos. So they had some pretty illustrious people on there, but I just did a new podcast with them uh, that should be up by the time you hear this podcast. And so it's in the entree leadership series. But if you want to know how to build a culture like Jim Collins describes in great by choice, get Dave Ramsey's book entree leadership. Arlen asked from Indiana, I've heard you say it. the way to be successful and great at what you do is to find one thing to focus on and be the best at it. I have a problem. I really want to be great at something, but I have too many interests. I find myself to be very interested in many different things and I struggle to filter them down to a few things, much more one specific thing. I find it really hard to consider giving up one interest so I can only focus on another. Some of my interests are science technology, business, entrepreneurship, fixing things, playing music, computers, computer programming, art, books, outdoor, nature activities, history. I'm 32 years old. I have a BS degree in business and I'm finishing up a BS degree in computer science. All righty. Let me tell you this, Arlen. Let me go right back to one of the concepts from another Jim Collins book, that being good to great. He talks in there about the hedgehog now, this refers about how to how top managers in a company take care of, lead the business. Well, here, here's the idea. The, the idea for the hedgehog really is drawn from that same fable I mentioned about the tortoise and the hare. In that study, of course, the tortoise and the hare decide to have a race. It looks like the hare or the rabbit is going to win because he's so much faster. But because he keeps getting distracted, he decides to rest for a while. The tortoise ends up winning. The fables meant to encourage readers, of course, to stay committed. Take your time if you want to come out ahead. Thus, the saying, slow and steady wins the race. The hedgehog concept that Jim Collins talks about is really very similar. In this version, it's the fox that's in a hurry to get ahead. He rushes around one great idea to the next. Always interested in the next big thing, something that's going to make him, you know, a lot of money. It's going to be riches. If this just happens, this will work. The fox has something to prove he's easily disregards the consequences easily distracted constantly he's always working on new schemes what does the hedgehog do one thing one thing only and every morning the fox gets up boom there's that hedgehog i'm going to get him today the hedgehog rolls up in a little ball with all those quills out and thinks when is the fox going to realize this is never going to work he's never going to get me all i have to do is just roll up in a ball and he's going to lose his interest ultimately and go away. When you say that you have all these interests, you can either be the fox or you can be the hedgehog. The fox never gets anything done. Just keeps going from one idea to the next. You want to be the hedgehog. So you are going to have to focus down. What is it that you do? Well, decide that's what you're going to do. You can't be the fox and end up ahead. 
Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller, on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. Well, you know, we've talked about goals today. We've talked about a whole lot of things, talked about how to focus. It seems like a lot of people are struggling with how to have a clear focus here at the end of the year, heading into a new year, brand new year. This is the time to focus, to set goals, to determine what is it that you want to accomplish next year. That's the way you separate yourself from the pack. If you don't have goals, like I said early on, you're going to be living out the goals of somebody else. That's not what you want to do. I know you want to be in the pack who have figured out what it is that's going to give you that unique and authentic life so you don't end your life with the regret that you lived the expectations of somebody else. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to 48 Days Online Radio. Thanks for being part of this community. Get involved in the 48days.net community. If you've got ideas that you want to develop, you'll find 10,000 other people there who are happily pursuing and developing their ideas. You're on this path that more and more people are, but be proud of the fact that you are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Let us know your successes. This is Dan Miller. Have a great week.